this series, we've been talking all about the spiritual war that we find ourselves in. And one of the most important things in any war or any battle is that communication is vital. You need to have good communication. So much so that in any good war, any big war that's taken place, one of the first things that the enemy tries to take out is your ability to communicate with your side. That's one of the first things. In fact, in one of the most famous wars of all time, World War I, the day after Britain declared war on Germany and all the, the powers, the day after, they, they declared war on August 4th, and on August 5th, at midnight, there was a secret operation that went into place that a lot of people don't know about, but it was actually one of the most important operations of the entire war. The operation basically consisted of this one little boat that didn't have any armor, it wasn't a battleship, it wasn't anything like that, but it was one boat. It's called the CS Alert. And the night they declared war, they went throughout the English Channel and they had five targets. There were five telegraph lines that ran underneath the English Channel that sent communication from Germany and Europe out to England or out to the rest of the world, and their job was to cut those off. And in one night, in secret, in the dark, without anyone noticing, they cut all five cables. And what happened after that was the Germans had to use Britain's telegraph wires, and they didn't know at the time, but Britain was listening to everything. And from that point on, because on the first night of the war, because they tapped out all of Germany's communication strategy with their telegraph wires, they had to use theirs, and Britain was able to intercept everything. So much so, it changed the whole tide of the war. In fact, they intercepted a message that was meant to try to get Mexico to fight against the United States, and they promised, the Germans promised a certain amount of land here in California and in, in Arizona. They promised that land to Mexico if they went into war against the United States, and that was the thing that actually drew the Americans into World War I a couple years later. It's amazing that all that happened from one night, one secret mission to take out the communication. Now, in the battle we find ourselves in, it's not much different. We have communication with God, and that, that's through the term we call prayer. We can communicate with God through prayer. And the good news is, as we just sang in that last song, there's nothing Satan can do to cut the line. Satan cannot stand between us and Christ and keep us from praying. He can't cut that off. He can't remove our access in prayer. But there is something he can do and that he does very successfully. And for many of us in the room, he's been very successful in this. He keeps you from ever tapping into prayer. Satan cannot remove your access to God through prayer, but here's what he can do. He can distract you he can point you to other things that seem to be good for you, but he'll do everything he can to keep you from praying. He can't cut the cord, but he can keep you distracted and keep you from going to God in prayer. And if we're going to fight this spiritual battle, the most important element of all this fight comes in verses 18, 19, and 20 of Ephesians chapter 6. So grab a Bible, check this out with me. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18, 19, and 20, after he talks about the armor of God that we're supposed to put on. It, he gives a word that starts this, this verse, verse 18, praying. So all of what we just did with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and all that stuff gets appropriated to the Christian by doing this one simple task, praying. You're never going to take up the shield of faith. 
You're never going to strap on the belt of truth unless prayer is involved in the process. So some people look at this and say, is this like the seventh thing of armor? Like there were six pieces of armor. This one he doesn't give like a designation to, but is this the seventh piece of armor? I don't think this is the seventh piece of armor. In fact, I think you can't take up any one of these single pieces of armor without this. This idea, prayer, controls the whole section. Anytime you start a verse in the middle of the sentence, like it does here, see how it says, praying at all times in the spirit, and the P in praying is not capitalized, right? It's not a new sentence. He's picking up where he came from, and you, not, you might have noticed, we talked about this last week, the main verb of last week's text comes in verse 14. It's the first word of verse 14. Jump up to that real quick. Look at verse 14. What's the first word? First word is a verb, stand. It says, stand, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So standing is the goal. And how do you stand? You stand by putting on this armor. And he goes on to say, well, how do you stand? Well, you stand by praying. That's how it works. You're never going to stand. You're never going to have victory in the spiritual battle unless you're praying. There's some things he says about prayer that I think are very helpful. Because if I asked you, hey, do you think you should pray or not pray? You'd all be like, well, I think the right answer is I should pray. Well, how urgently do you feel the need to pray? Sometimes we only pray when we're in trouble. Sometimes we only pray when there's some crisis that's like right there and we got to go to God. And there's no one else that can fix it, so we go to God. That's natural. That's reactive prayer. But what he's going to talk about is in this spiritual battle, you need to press forward with prayer because your life is dependent on it. Your victory is dependent on it. Everything in the spiritual war is dependent on this one simple idea, prayer. Look at verse 18. Here's what he says. Here's how you stand. You stand by praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Right? So we've seen the word all twice now. You're going to see it some more times. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or requests for all the saints. So just in this one verse, what do you see? You see the word all four times. That's for emphasis. All, all, all. What does he say? All times with all prayer and supplication. That means taking those two words together like Paul does sometimes. He does not Philippians 4 when he says, go to God with your prayer and supplication. Those are two words. They're very similar. You could call them synonyms, but really they got two different aspects of what he's talking about. Prayer is the, just the general idea of going to God, talking to God. Supplications is something more specific. Supplications are requests. Like, I've got things on the list that I'm asking. So he says, with all prayer and supplication, take your requests and let them be made known to God. And then to that end, to make sure that you will ask, you need to keep alert. Because if you're not alert, if you're not sober-minded, if you're not constantly thinking about the battle you're in, you're never going to pray. And that's where a lot of us are right now. A lot of us are not alert, we're not sober-minded, and that's why you're not praying. Sometimes we wonder, like, why don't I pray as much as I should? I mean, I, I know I should, but why is it hard for me? Well, one of the reasons it might be hard for us is because we're not keeping alert. We're not thinking we're going into battle, right? Like if you had something that was very, very scary in your life, nobody would force you to pray. You would just feel like, I have to go to God. One of our problems is we don't think we're in any spiritual danger. We live our lives casually. We coast through life occasionally, and we don't think about prayer because we don't think we're in a battle. We've been talking about that this entire series. We've got to snap out of that mindset. Verse 18, he says, all, all, all. Pray for all the saints, too, not just yourself. Praying for a lot of people here. Then verse 19, Paul interjects, and he says, and also for me. So while we're getting prayer requests here, he says, can you pray for me? What does he ask for? Well, he's in jail, so maybe he's asking to be released from jail, right? Maybe he's asking that he'd get a better situation or more food or more supplies. That's not what he said. 
Pray also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says, I've got something I'm looking forward to that I need a word for. You notice where your text says that I may have words? That's actually not what the text says. The text says word in the singular. He says, I want a word to speak. I want the message. I want to know exactly what I should say for this scary thing he's leading up to. It's like, you, know, you guys all had AP tests and they're over, right? All AP tests are over? No, they're not over? Okay, sorry. Sensitive subject. You're in the middle of them, right? Uh, and if you're taking AP tests, you know everything rides on that because you took all the, you know, all the extra homework. You could have just taken world history, but instead you took AP Euro, right? Bad decision. <laughs> unless, unless you do well on this test. I actually, okay, not to brag, but I passed AP Euro. I, I think I only got like a three, so don't clap. Um, but I got two whole college classes off, six units off for AP Euro in college. So I didn't have to take two whole classes because I passed the test one day when I was a sophomore, right? So there is something riding on it, no offense, not to freak you out. But you know that anticipation you have that like everything's riding on this. There's so much that's built up to this. That's actually the feeling Paul had because if you know where he is right now, he's in jail, he says that, he's in chains, he's in jail. But what he's leading up to, if you know the end of the book of Acts, he appeals to Caesar, Nero Caesar, so that he could share the truth in a bigger way. He didn't have to do that, but as a Roman citizen, he used his right to say, I'm on trial, I'm unjustly accused, I appeal to the highest court. So, like, the last couple chapters of Acts is just him going from place to place, from prison to prison, being led to the emperor to speak in front of him. I think when he says, I want a word to speak, I, I want the message to be clear and bold, I think what he's talking about is his very, very important date on the calendar that he had coming up to share the gospel in front of the emperor and in front of all these other Gentiles. And he says, please pray for me that I have courage, boldness, clarity, that I don't change the message in some way to make it more palatable. I just, I want boldness and clarity. So please pray for me too. And really, that's the end of the body of Ephesians. He's going to go on to talk about other things about um, his friend named Tychicus and how he's going to come to him carrying this letter. But this is the end of the letter for the most part. We have one more week that we're going to study that, that conclusion, but he ends with saying, pray for me, because i got to open my mouth boldly. This whole section, 18, 19, and 20, all about one idea, prayer. You're not going to fight the spiritual battle. You're not going to be successful. You're not going to have any victory, and you can take that to the bank. You can count on it. You won't have any if you're prayerless, if you're not going to God, if you're not regularly saying, i got to go to God in prayer. So, We've been talking about prayer a lot this semester. It was what we covered at Revival Winter Edition, if you were there. And we talked a lot about it. We had three sermons about if you never pray, how you should pray, how to keep on praying, all that stuff. So I'm going to assume that you know some basic things about prayer, that you and I don't have the right to go to God on our own. We can only go to God because there is a perfect holy one named Jesus who lived as a righteous man, perfectly righteous, and he stands as our intercessor, our intermediary. He stands between us. He takes our message to God, right? Because without him, there's no access that we'd have to God, right? So I, I assume that you know that, and I also assume that you know that prayer is not necessarily, you know, taking a bunch of beads and counting beads like a rosary. Prayer is not some kind of form. Prayer just means you communicating to God, and how you do that is with your mind, right? Sometimes you can, you know, you can use your mouth because 
God hears that too, but he doesn't need to have it out loud. But that's what we're talking about by prayer. Taking my thoughts and communicating them to God. That's what he's saying. That is how we win the spiritual battle. You can have all this amazing armor of God, but if you never pray, you'll never put it on. You'll never appropriate these things. So this text gives us a lot. And if you look at your worksheet, you've got seven things. Don't be scared. We're going to go through these fast. But there's seven aspects of prayer that I think that this text just instructs us on. We always need to hear more about prayer, and we always need to put it into practice. So let's start with this. The first line says, praying at all times. Praying at all times. What does that mean? Well, that means that you're praying at all times, all seasons. The word time means season or opportunity. So like every season that you got, every chance you get, you're praying. Point number one, very simple. Pray more often. Right? There's seven things about prayer. These are going to be very simple points, very short. Pray more often. You'd say, yeah, I, I know that. I should do that. Well, okay, great. The Bible says we should pray without ceasing. It goes further than maybe what we're comfortable with. It doesn't say pray every day. It doesn't say pray three times a day. It doesn't say pray five times a day. It says pray without ceasing. You ever wondered at what that means? Because it's the same idea here. Praying at all times. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Uh, well, I think it could be best understood if... Uh, a situation has come up for you, it's similar to me, where if you ever texted somebody or you got direct message with somebody, whether on Instagram or texting or whatever, uh, where you're just in a flow of conversation, like even a group chat, where you're constantly sending messages, constantly sending memes, constantly sending things, and it's just an unbroken communication. And it could last for days, months, some group chats you have, maybe years, Right, until you know someone's not your friend anymore, and then they get kicked out of the group chat or whatever. You know, but you know what I'm talking about. You could have an extensive conversation that's just it's just constantly going. But are you texting all the time? Yes and no, right? You're not texting like all the time, like 24/7, like every waking moment. But anytime something happens, you're sending it. Anytime you take a picture, you're sending it. You know, if this has never happened to you, uh, well. This happens to some people. You're just, just always sending things to people, right? You start dating somebody. It's like constant texting, constant messages. It's like constant, constant, constant. Okay, that is what I'm talking about by, by without ceasing uh, all the time. That every time there's something that's interesting, exciting, unique, or sad, you're sharing. You're taking your heart and you're sharing your heart all the time. That's, I think, what Paul means by pray without ceasing or praying at all times, that you're always going to God. So James said, James chapter 5, he says, is anyone among you suffering? Well, then let him pray. Are you hurting? Well, you should pray about that. Is anyone among you cheerful? Well, let him sing praise. You should sing to God. That's good. Things are going well? Don't say, well, I'm not going to pray now because I got all that I want. You should be thanking God like we learned in main service this morning. If things are going poorly, you should be going to God. If things are going, you know, steady, pray to God. Keep asking. Keep thanking Keep asking with all prayer and supplication. Pray at all times. If, if we were to take all the time that we pray, and I challenge you with this at Revival Winter Edition, but if we were to really add up the time that you spend praying and the time that I spend praying, I think we would be ashamed how it compares to the time we spend doing other things. The time we spend in class. The time we spend doing homework. The time we spend wasting time the time we spend on Instagram, the time we spend on YouTube, the amount of minutes we listen on Spotify. Like, I think if we added up our prayer time, really added it up, if we could honestly do that, which is hard to do, but if you did that, 
I think every one of us would feel a sense of shame that, man, I should be praying more. If you were to take Paul's time and add it up, what would that look like? I mean, he's in jail. He's preaching the gospel. He's doing a lot of good things, right? But I think he's a man who really exemplifies praying all the time. We need to move towards that. If that's just the first big idea, I mean, it's, that's super important. We need to pray more often. Next, he says, praying at all times in the spirit. I left that out because we're going to talk about it next, right, for point number two. So point number one is, okay, pray at all times. That's clear. We need to pray more. You need to pray more. I need to pray more. But then next it says praying in the spirit. This is more complicated, right, because he's already taught us in the book of Ephesians that if you're a Christian, you live in the spirit. You have God's spirit in you. And then he said in chapter 5, you should be filled with the spirit. You should be thinking about what God's spirit wants you to do all the time. You should be following his direction, doing what he wants you to do. If you're praying in the spirit, think about what that means. I'm asking God for things that are in alignment and agreement with what God's Spirit wants me to ask. That's the idea. If I'm praying in the Spirit, it means I'm indwelt by the Spirit, which is true if I'm a Christian. And then more than that, I'm asking for things, genuinely asking for things that God wants me to ask. Here's the question for you. How do you ask what the Spirit wants you to ask? How do you get to that place? Are you supposed to wait for some kind of spiritual experience? Are you supposed to go out sit on a rock, fold your legs, go home. Like, what, how do you do that? Think about it. How do I pray what the Spirit wants me to pray? You might know where I'm going with this, right? especially if you've heard my preaching. The Spirit wrote a book, right? The Spirit wrote a book, and it says a lot of things that we should be praying for. And let me tell you something for, for sure. You're not praying in the Spirit if you're praying for things that are antithetical or opposed to what God's word says. And inversely, if you are praying what God's spirit said, things we should pray for, then we're getting closer to what it looks like to pray in the spirit. So point number two, pray more biblically. Pray more biblically. I hope that my prayers and your prayers are more and more in alignment with what God's word says. Because that's my judge. That's my, my standard. I can't look to something else and say, okay, is this spiritual? Is this not spiritual? How do I know? Well, God's spirit wrote a book and we're going to talk about it next week, but 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, the words in your Bible are from the Spirit. Men wrote them as they were carried along by the Spirit. Super important. If you're praying what the Bible says, which we spent a whole small group at Revival Winter Edition doing that, if you remember. I gave that big list of like the Psalms and how you could pray through the Psalms in, in different you know, situations. Remember, praying through the Bible looks like reading maybe a, a phrase from God's Word and then letting that inspire what you're going to ask God for and talk to God about. We talked about that with Psalm 1. We, we did it together. And then I had you guys all do one as a small group and pray verse by verse. Each one of you read, read a verse and then pray. And then after that, you spent that time, especially if you were in the gym at Revival, where it was dead silent in that room. That was kind of cool. And you were all taking God's word and using that to pray back to the Lord. That is a great start. And... Again, not to be too convicting and challenging, but, I mean, have you been doing that since we gave you that list? Like, how often have you been praying the Psalms? If you're, if you're one of those people that hears that first point and says, yeah, oof, I definitely need to pray more. I, but, like, it's hard for me to pray more because I don't always know what to pray for. And, you know, I got the same four people to pray for, and then I, 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 I ask God to help them, and then, then I'm done. I don't know what else to pray. Pray the Psalms. It's super helpful. I mean, here's some Psalms that... that 
can kind of help us understand this. Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How can I keep my thoughts pure or righteous? How can I keep my activities pure or righteous? How can I like, go on, on the right path? Well, by guarding my way according to your word. Like fencing things off and say, I won't do this. And I must do this because the Bible says this is wrong and this is right. That's one way. And then he says, next verse, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. It's like he sees the commandments in front of him like those little like lily pads. You know what I'm talking about with the, you know, the frogs jump on the lily pads and you got to go from one to another. And it's like I see the, the line in front of me. I want to stay on that path. It's a good way to think about it. He says, let me not wander from your commandments. Then verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, one of the best ways to pray more biblically is to take God's word, to meditate on it, think about it, chew on it, keep it in your heart, and then as you're walking throughout the day, just start thinking about what you read. Start repeating that verse over and over again. That will be fodder for better prayer. That will help you pray more biblically. And in fact, if I were to say, who in here is praying in the spirit? It's not those of you who are praying ecstatically and loudly. It's those of you who are praying God's word back to him. When you're walking from third period to fourth period, and you've got you know, seven minutes or whatever, that you're thinking about, I read Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding according to your word. God, help me. I, I want to I wanna walk where you want me to walk. I want to think what you want me to think. I don't want to think in a way that's wrong. I don't want to look at things that are wrong. I want to keep on the right path. God, help me with that. I know that your word teaches me. Like, you see how one verse can inspire you to pray a lot. That's praying in the spirit. Praying at all times in the spirit. And there's so much that it does. It provokes your heart to express thanksgiving to God. It corrects a lot of your wrong prayers. Have you noticed that? That if you're going to God and you want to ask him things, then sometimes you read what the Bible says and say, oh, maybe I shouldn't ask for that. It reminds you of God's promises. It keeps you from sinful thinking. It fills you with truth. It even, it gives you peace as you trust God's promises. That's helpful too. I mean, that's a, maybe a selfish way of thinking about it that is just for you, but think about it. It will give you peace. Right? If you're an anxious person, if you're scared about the future, you don't know what's gonna happen. You understand that praying God's word back to him is a massive source of peace, and it has been for Christians who live before us. I mean, just listen to this, Psalm 125, verses one and two. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Even just thinking about that, that God is a rock for his people. He never changes. God is a hiding place for his people, Psalm 32. That I can go to God even when I sin, Psalm 51, and know that I can have forgiveness because of what Christ did for me. It's huge. It's peace. It also shapes the things we pray for. I mean, listen to this. This is Psalm 37. It's one that's sometimes misquoted, but listen. Psalm 37, verses 3, 4, and 5. It shapes the way we pray. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Like, you should be associated with faithfulness or like you're doing the right thing time after time. You're taking a good step and then another good step. And then you have integrity and you're not lying and you're not cheating and you're not deceiving people and you're just like being faithful. Then it says, 
delight yourself in the Lord, care about what God cares about, love God more, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Think about that. It's a big promise that God will give you what you want. (laughs) That's weird. God will give you what you want. Yeah, he says, after you change what you want to be what God wants, or as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be satisfied. Start wanting what God wants. Start caring about what he cares about in your life, in your friend's life. And then God says, I'll satisfy you. You'll be the most satisfied person. Which is why many of you, even if you're not a Christian, and many of you know you're not a Christian, and you sense the dissatisfaction where it's not, not everything's right. I, maybe I just fix this. Maybe I can just change this. You're never going to be satisfied. Never. And so you're walking in alignment with what God wants. And that your heart wants what God wants. And then, boom, give you the desires of your heart. And you'll understand what satisfaction is. Until then, you won't get it. But praying more biblically helps us with all that. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. Let's pray in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication. So all different kinds of requests. Supplication means requests. Prayer means going to God. Prayer requests. Right? All different kinds of prayer requests. So if you're thinking about prayer requests or any requests, one of the most important things for you to think about is that these need to be specific. You need to go to God and actually ask him for specific things. That's point number three. Pray more specifically. This will help us. All prayer and supplication. What does that mean? It means praying more specifically. Saying, okay, I'm going to pray more than just, if I'm thanking God, God, thank you for this day. What about the day do you want to thank him for? Specifically, what are you, what are you actually thanking him for? Because you just maybe mindlessly say that. Unless you're thinking about something that you're actually thanking God for. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you, wow, the weather's really good today. Wow, thank you. You gave me great breakfast this morning. Oh, I'm excited for lunch. Thank you. You thank God for your food. You can do that, but sometimes you just say, Thanks, God, for the food. Thanks, God, for the lunch. Thanks, God, for the... And we don't even think about what those things are. We need to be specific. Sometimes we pray things like this. God, please bless this day. What does that mean? In what way? How do you want... How, how do, what are you asking for? Well, I want it to be blessed. Well, I, you know, be hashtag blessed. I got Chick-fil-A. I'm already hashtag blessed, right? Like, what are you talking about? Blessed. What do you mean by that? Oh, oh, I, I want... I want to, uh, I don't know, I want today to honor God. Okay, well then you're asking for something. Start asking for stuff. It's, it's like when my wife and I talk about what we want to do for dinner. Like, you want to go get dinner? Yeah, sure. What do you want for dinner? I, I mean, let's just get dinner. I don't know, we'll just go out. Well, where do you want to go out? I, I don't know, just, I don't, we can just get the kids and you know, put them in the car, we'll just go. I don't know. Well, where do you want to go? I, I don't know, just, let's just go out. It's like, okay, well, how about we like get specific and we won't get dinner unless we get specific. At some point, we need to get specific. Right? You do this with your friends, Saturday night, Friday night. Your friends are together. You sit there, and uh, you're like, okay, where are we going to go get dinner? And then you all stand out at your cars, and, and then it becomes a debate on, like, Chipotle, In-N-Out, Chick-fil-A, where are we going to go? And then it's like the longer you, you spend being nonspecific, like, it just doesn't happen. Or you go to a friend's house and you want to watch a movie or you want to watch something on Netflix or whatever, and you're like, what should we watch? And then you're just scrolling through the options and no one's being specific, and then you never end up watching anything, right? Got to be specific at some point, right? Because really, sometimes we ask questions and even prayer requests, we ask things of God, and we're not actually asking anything. We're just talking. We're just saying, God bless the day. God, thank you for the food. God, thank you for the... If you're not 
thinking about what you're praying about. We're not being specific. Basically, what I'm saying is you need to decide, what am I actually asking God for? What am I actually thanking God for? Decide what that is, and then thank God for it, or ask God for it. Be specific. Don't be afraid to be specific. I think I've probably told you this story, but there's a guy who was very famous for prayer. His name was George Mueller, and he ran all these orphanages in the 1800s in uh, England, and he was famous for not asking people for money. He would just pray for money, and then people would end up giving, and he wouldn't ask people for money. It was interesting way that he did ministry, but he was teaching some of his kids, some of the orphans, to pray, and, you know, one of his little girls was like, like, oh, you know, maybe we can ask for, you know, sugar dumplings, you know, and all the adults like, oh, don't sugar dumplings, and he says, no, 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 let's just, let's ask God. We, God loves it, but more specific. He didn't want to stifle that girl, so they prayed for sugar dumplings, and guess what showed up as they were praying? A merchant who had Sugar, I, sugar dumplings is not a real thing. But whatever she prayed for, I forget what it was. But it's like, okay, that's interesting, right? Sugar, is sugar dumplings that a thing? That just sounds so British to me, right? A crumpet, maybe? I don't know, some tea without anything in it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what she asked for, but she was specific. <laughs> kind of ruins the illustration if you don't know the specific thing that she specifically asked for. But you get my point. She, she asked for flaming Hot Cheetos, Right? <laughs> She asked for something very specific, Takis or, you know, spits, sunflower seeds, salt and pepper, cracked pepper, that's what, that's what I like, the cracked pepper, sunflower seeds. Sometimes you're like, oh, do I like sunflower seeds? Yeah, but like, don't give me dill pickle sunflower seeds, those are gross. Uh, they need to be specific. When you're asking God for things, just be specific. Ask what you want to ask. Some of us are afraid to be specific because we're like, well, what if God doesn't answer that prayer request? I think that's part of our problem. Sometimes we pray, as James 1 says, we ask, we don't really trust that God's gonna give us what we ask for, so we ask half-heartedly, doubting, and James says, you're like a double-minded person. You're pretending to trust God, but you don't really trust God? Do you trust God or not? Just ask and trust. Be specific. That's what it means to have all these prayers and supplications. I mean, listen to this. Paul, when he prayed for Christians, listen to how specific he was. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. He says, and from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, asking God, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because I want you to know God's will for your life. I want you to know what God wants you to do in certain situations. That's what it means to be spiritually mature. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's like four things right there. But he's specific. I think if you started thinking about the things you ask for, sometimes they're unspecific. Let's work on that. I want to be praying more specifically. If you notice back in Ephesians 6, there's a period right there. Starts a new sentence. And it says, to that end, keep alert. Right? Keeping alert. What does that mean? It means staying awake or being vigilant. Uh, before he even talks about praying with perseverance, which we'll get to next, the next thing, the fourth thing that I want to think about is what does it mean to be alert? in prayer. Well, here's the idea, that you actually know what to pray for before you start praying. That you're alert. You're thinking, okay, I need to think about what I need to pray for and be aware of the needs of the day. I need to be aware of the needs, my spiritual needs, and the spiritual needs of my family and my small group. I'm actually conscious of things I need to pray for before I sit down and say, okay, I should probably pray about some stuff right now. 
Point number four, pray more proactively. Pray more proactively. That's what it means to be alert, to be ready, sober-minded, clear-headed, undistracted, ready to go. Yeah, the question really here is, okay, do you know what to pray for? If I said, hey, it's time to pray, you got to pray for 15 minutes right now, um, let's go. Would you be like, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to pray for, uh, what, what should I pray for? I don't have no idea. If that's the case, you're probably not a person who's alert and ready to pray. Jesus put it like this. He puts the alert and prayer in the same sentence in Luke 21. He warned these Christians. He says, but watch yourselves. Be alert. Know yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. He says, be careful that you're not so distracted either by sin, which would be bad, right? Dissipation or drunkenness, but also just the cares of this life. Anxiety, fear, not knowing what the future holds, not knowing what college you're going to go to. He says, be careful that your heart doesn't get weighed down with all that. He says, and if that happens, then the day of the Lord will will come upon you like a trap. You understand that if you're not aware and, and thinking about these things, it's like Jesus comes back. He said, don't, don't be a person who's not ready for me to come back. He says, for it will come upon those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But you, stay awake at all times. Be alert, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. He says, you got to be alert. You be ready for all this. If you're not praying, ready, alert, well, then we're not praying proactively. Here's another way to think about this. Wouldn't it be better for you and I to pray ahead of time, knowing our spiritual needs, knowing our friend's spiritual needs. Wouldn't it be better to pray for victory and temptation, victory over fear and anxiety, than to pray on the other side, confessing our sin of anxiety or confessing our sin of falling into temptation? Wouldn't it be better for us to pray proactively and say, okay, I know that I'm going to face temptation today. I know my friends are going to face temptation today. I know the people in my small group are going to face temptation today. I need to pray for them right now. Wouldn't it be better to pray ahead of time than not sin and do righteousness than to pray on the backside of that, confessing, oh, God, we didn't do this. Oh, God, we failed. God, please forgive us. We, we are in the wrong. I mean, that's going to happen sometimes. We are going to have to confess our sin, and that's a, better than not confessing your sin. But think about it. If we had those two options, wouldn't it be better to pray ahead of time be proactive in our prayers to say, I, I know that I'm going to face temptation today. I know that going to this place and being over here and using this device and talking to these people, I know that those are going to be different temptations. I'm aware of that. I'm praying for protection. I'm praying that I would be strong, that I wouldn't give in to sin. And then the next day, right, saying, God, you protected me. God, I prayed for that and you answered. Isn't that better than not praying? being negligent, and then falling into sin, and then having to work our way back to God and say, okay, wow, God, I'm sorry I failed. I shouldn't have done it. Better to be proactive in prayer than to be just reactive. I know we're always going to be reactive to some extent. I just am challenging you. This alert idea means be ready. Some things that you can know for sure. We talked about 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 says that there is a devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to take you out, He wants to take your family members out. He wants to take your friends out. He wants to take your small group leaders out. He wants to take the people in your small group out. And here's our responsibility. 
we need to be praying proactively. Have you ever prayed, God, help my friend. I don't want him to sin today. God, please keep her from sinning today. Make her strong against temptation. Don't let her fall. Keep her. You ever prayed for that? Or are we always just saying, oh, God, I know that this person sinned a lot in this way. I hope that you'd help them with it in the future. A lot of times we're reactive, not proactive. That's the idea. We want to be proactive. Be alert. He says, be alert with all perseverance. So this is our third all in the text. Point number five, perseverance means being relentless, continuing to pray. Point number five, pray more relentlessly. Pray more relentlessly. This is all over the scriptures. Don't pray once and give up. Don't ask and then you don't receive and then say, well, I shouldn't ask anymore. If you're praying for something that's good, and here's the condition to praying relentlessly, there are some times in the scriptures where people pray once and twice and three times and then they give up and say, I'm not going to pray for that anymore. That's from 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul says whatever his physical like, health problem he had, God made it clear to him this is going to stay for the long term. So he doesn't pray for it to go away. He prays for something else. But this is conditioned on if you know what you're praying for is good and right. And here's some things I know that are good and right. That you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I know that's something God wants. So pray for it. Don't pray for it once. Don't pray for it twice. Keep praying every day. I know it's clear that God wants to save sinners. So don't pray once or twice and say, well, I prayed for this person once or twice. I guess God doesn't want to save them. He didn't do it the first time. Okay? Keep praying. That's a good thing. I know the scripture wants us to pray for that. The condition is, if we know we're doing something, we're praying for something that's right, then keep praying relentlessly. Jesus in Luke 18 told a parable, and Luke says about the parable, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And the parable was about this uh, evil judge and this helpless widow. And the widow keeps coming to the judge asking, give me justice. Give me justice against my adversaries. These people are trying to steal my house. They're trying to take my land. God, please protect me. Please, or not God. He's just praying to the, to the judge, asking the judge, please protect me. And the judge doesn't really want to. Right? You might remember this story. But then eventually he's like, fine, okay, whatever. We'll put up the fence. We'll give the land back. You're just so annoying because you keep coming to me over and over again. And he finally gives it. And then Jesus says, how much more ready and willing do you think God is, who's your father who loves you, to answer your prayer requests? To answer them speedily, to give justice quickly. God's ready to do that. But he wants us to pray. And sometimes he wants us to keep praying so that we finally trust that God's the one who gives it. Some of us pray once or twice, and then we don't get it, and then we think, well, I, I guess, you know, pray once or twice, and I guess I just need to work harder, I need to do something better or whatever, and then you think it's about you. Sometimes God wants us to ask multiple times so that you will remember that God is the one who does these things, not you, right? even if it's power over sin or if it's someone being saved. Sometimes he doesn't answer the first time because if he answered the first time, you'd think that it's about you and that you've got it under control and that you somehow can do it. Sometimes God doesn't answer for a while to increase our trust in him, to stretch our faith in him. Relentlessly, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Those words are like progressively more intense. Ask, that's just an ask. Seek, that's a little bit more. Knocking, that means you're really looking. That's kind of how we need to pray. Asking, seeking, knocking. Asking relentlessly. You know, as a golfer, a lot of people say this one line that I hear a lot, and I even say a lot. I'm guilty. And here's the line. Oh, we should go golf sometime. Oh, we should go golf sometime. 
And we say that, and it's like, I've heard that probably a thousand times in my life. Let's go, oh, we should go golf sometimes. Like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, right. And then, I, and then I've said to people, we should go golf sometimes. Like, yeah, right, right, yeah, okay. Um, and that's golf slang for like, oh, you play golf too? Like, I would be willing to play with you at some point for golf. You want to play golf? And, and it's like this non-serious thing. No offense, golfers, right? But you know, you know how it works, right? And we just always ask, oh, we should go golf. We should go golf. Uh, then there are people who are serious about actually going golfing. It's like, oh, I've got a tea time here. Do you want to come with me to this tea time at this specific place? And then it's like, that's a real request. Once you start asking that point, now we know we're serious about it, relentlessly. Like, I, I know that Mark McGill will take me golfing. I know that I'll, you know, go golfing. I've only been golfing I've, with Roy, like, one time. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I go golfing with Dan the man, Mr. Compression himself. Dan Blankenship, you don't know what compression is? Just YouTube, Tiger Woods, golf swing, compression. You'll find out all about it, right? We're serious about golfing. Uh, Here's my point. Sometimes you ask and we don't really mean what we ask, right? Praying relentlessly is the idea of I'm actually asking, and I'm going to keep asking, and I'm going to ask until I get what I want, not an unserious asking. Praying relentlessly is key. It says here also, making supplication for all the saints. Here's our last all. All the saints. That means all Christians. His concern is not just for a couple of people or for himself. It goes beyond that. And when I think about that phrase, praying and making supplication for all the saints, and I think, okay, how well do we do that? Praying for all the saints, other people, people that you don't know, Christians that you've never met, people on the mission field, people at other churches, people that are in our church that you don't know very well, or even just beyond your circle, praying for all the saints. That's, that's important. It's something we don't talk about very much. But here's how I want you to write it down. Point number six, pray more selflessly. Pray more selflessly. This is key, that in our prayers, sometimes the reason we don't pray very often is because we're selfish and we just pray for us and ourselves and our problems and our little world, and we never get beyond that. Paul's idea is, no, no, be more expansive about the things that you pray for. There's a man in the early church who prayed relentlessly and selflessly and proactively and all the things we said. There's a man who did that. He doesn't get much love, but he's mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians. His name is Epaphras. Colossians and Ephesians were probably written at the same time. The guy that we're going to find out about next, Tychicus, he actually probably takes both letters at the same time from Paul. That's why there's so much that's similar in Colossians and Ephesians because he's probably writing them at about the same time, just to different areas and different churches. But in Colossians 4, Paul says something about this guy Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus. He greets you. And here's what you can know about Epaphras. He is always struggling or wrestling or agonizing on your behalf in his prayers. Paul's like, I hear Epaphras pray for you, Colossians. He's wrestling for you. He's passionately going to God on your behalf, asking that you be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, that you'd put on the armor of God, that you'd fight temptation. This guy, Epaphras, he loves you, and I know that because he prays for you relentlessly, agonizes over you in prayer. He says he struggles on your behalf in his prayers. That, here's his prayer request, that you would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, that you would be a confident, mature 
Christian who knows exactly what you need to do for God. Even if you don't even know what college you go to or what job you're going to, but you know, I know what I need to do today. I need to please God today. I know what God's will is today for me. Because I want you to know that. And he agonizes for you. Do you ever agonize for someone else, for someone in your small group? Maybe for someone to be saved in your family? Have you ever agonized over them in prayer? How about other Christians? Like there's not even an urgent prayer request for them. It's just this burden that's put on Epaphras' heart that I'm struggling for you, that you be mature. I don't want you to fall for the tricks of the world. I don't want you to fall for Satan's schemes. I'm wrestling on your behalf. That's what Epaphras did for these Colossians. Have you, can you say that about anybody else? And if not, let, let's start that today. There are people that you know right now in your life that need you to pray that they'd be more spiritually mature. I mean, just start with your small group. Right? Who are the five girls in your small group or the six guys in your small group? Who are the people that are just around you in your small group that you need to start praying for? In fact, thinking back to this idea of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the next verse, 1 Peter 5, 9, says, Resist him, Satan, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Just, you understand that like your friends are getting attacked by Satan too? That whatever temptations you have, they're probably similar to the guys in your small group? And that, yeah, you may have had victory yesterday, that you may not have gossiped, or you may not have done this thing, or looked at that thing, or gone to this place, and you may have done well, but maybe they're not. And Satan's going after them, just like they're going after you. So, pray for them. Like there's actually something at stake. If we were struggling, agonizing on behalf of other Christians more, you understand that there would be less sin in the life of a church. There'd be less disunity. There would be less Christians falling into sin that they know is wrong. There would be a lot less of that if there was more agonizing in prayer over other people like Epaphras. If you need prayer requests, if you don't know where to start with people, here's a place you can start. Start in Colossians 1, 9 to 11. We already said that. Paul praying for the Colossians. You could start with what Epaphras was praying, Colossians 4, 12. You could also look at Ephesians where Paul prayed twice already in this book. In chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And then in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, Paul was praying for them. So if you want something to just start off, if you want to say, okay, I want to pray for each person in my small group. Okay, once on, one person on Monday, one person on Tuesday, one person on Wednesday, one person on Thursday, and you don't know what to pray for them, just start by praying the kind of things that Paul prayed for in Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 3, or Colossians 1, or what Epaphras prayed for here in Colossians 4.12. Start there. So important. This focus on others is key, and Paul had this really strong. Like He was always focused on others, which is why his big prayer request, and he's only got one for him. He had all these kinds of prayers that they should pray, but he says, okay, but one thing for me, and by the way, he was humble enough to ask. Some of us aren't humble enough to actually give our requests because we don't want to feel indebted to somebody else because we think maybe we're more spiritually mature, and you can't tell someone who's less spiritually mature to pray for you because that would be embarrassing. Paul says, I don't care about that. If you're saying, I want you to pray on my behalf, that I would speak boldly, that I have a word to speak in front of Nero, in front of the emperor and all the people there. I need courage because I know that there's a temptation to lack courage. Lastly, seven, 
I want you to pray more evangelistically. Pray more evangelistically. Thinking that the object and aim of your prayers is that more people would hear the gospel of, of God and would come to faith in Jesus. That needs to be the aim. More evangelistically. It's cool because Paul's prayer was actually answered. It wasn't answered probably in the way that he thought. But he says at the end of 2 Timothy 4, which is the last book he wrote, at the end of that book, 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul says, yeah, a lot of people actually abandoned me. They left before my court date. I was left pretty much alone. But the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. I mean, how many Gentiles heard the mystery of the gospel when Paul stood up and shared it boldly in front of Nero? Tons of Gentiles. It must have been the talk of the town. People were hearing about it. It's funny. Our text says the mystery of the gospel. Do you remember in Ephesians 3 what the mystery of the gospel is? That the Gentiles could be included in the salvation of this Jewish Messiah. So here's the whole mystery. Jesus came to save sinners. Even you, Nero. He came even to save you, Romans. That's what he came to do. That's the mystery of the gospel. And Paul says, God answered the prayer. He stood by me. He strengthened me. All these Gentiles heard about it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. It's figurative language to talk about this first imprisonment. This battle, we should be praying for victory, even if you feel like you've got to start small. I mentioned World War I, Britain. There was a guy who lived just before that, before World War I in Britain. He was a hymn writer named William Cooper. And about prayer, he said something very interesting that I found striking. I read it this week. He says, when we don't pray, we quit the fight. Prayer keeps the Christian armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Even if you feel like you've been failing in prayer, it's the strongest thing you can do. Just go to God in prayer. Satan trembles when he sees you praying to God. Whether you pray a lot or a little, I hope this message is encouraging you to take up the armor of God and keep praying righteously. So let's ask God to help us with that right now. God, we confess that for being people who hear a lot about prayer, we know that we don't pray as much or as fervently or as agonizing as we should. Pray that today the, the tide would turn, and even in the culture of this ministry, that we would become better prayer warriors who really are fighting and struggling on behalf of others. Pray that we'd be proactive to see the needs that our church has and that our small groups have and our families have, and to pray even before the struggle ensues. I know that you want us to come to you. You don't cast us out. You embrace us through the righteousness of Jesus. I pray that we'd make better use of this vital communication of prayer. Please, that we'd be strong as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.